everybody, it's Dan Dan, and today we are diving into a spiritual study right around these 12 wonderful steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's so full of interesting things, isn't it? And one of the things we love to bring out, we love to say this, is this guy, a doctor, his name's Paul O., wrote a story. And the story today is called Acceptance is the Answer. You can find it in the fourth edition of the AA Big Book. And in it, we get a, a famous, I think, perhaps even infamous phrase. And that is, acceptance is the answer to all of my problems. All in italics in the book. Like, all of my problems. And many of us, including myself, run into that and think, no, it's not. No, no. Acceptance is not the answer to all of my problems. And it's because we lose the context of this text when we think about it. So here, here are some ideas around this. A lot of times people use the idea of acceptance to become apathetic, which means to eliminate their need to care. They turn away from the problem and just walk away from it as if it is not there. And that is their kind of acceptance. There's another thing, which is complacency, which is, I'm not really walking away from it, but I'm not going to take any action. I'm not going to take any action at all. And this idea in the big book, if we are to apply it out into our lives, if we're to embrace it from the standpoint of all of my problems, we've got to confront the context that is brought to us in this stories and Paul O's story. And we've also will benefit greatly from understanding what we are looking at here. What is the actual spiritual goal? So this is how do I use acceptance as a spiritual tool to change my sack of molecules into the arrangement that I prefer, which would be peaceful, happy, joyous, and free. So we dive into it. and uh, Most people will start this on page 417 with, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems. But just a little bit further back on page 416 is where this idea originally lands. And it says, at last, at last, at last of what? What's been going on? Well, he's talking, Paulo is talking about his marriage. He's talking about how he can't seem to get it together in relationships in his life. He's giving his marriage as the example. He was dually addicted. He talks about how he's walked away from narcotics and he's not drinking, but he's still very much a restless, irritable, and discontented person. And at last, acceptance proved to be the key to my drinking problem. So he was a skeptic as well. Paulo didn't think acceptance would be the thing that walks him into the idea that he's an alcoholic, and that is the context. It proved... It proved, it proved itself. He tried the idea, the tool of acceptance. We're going to get to what that is in a second. He tried it and it proved to be the key to my drinking problem. After I had been around AA for seven months, so he's seven months into AA, he's still bouncing into this thing. Maybe I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not drinking now. I'm not using any narcotics now. He said, after I've been around AA for seven months, tapering off alcohol and pills, not finding the program working very well. Key idea. Not finding the program working very well. Why? Because he's still resistant to that first step. I was finally able to say, okay, God, it is true that I, 
Dr. Paul O. Of all people, strange as it may seem, strange as it may seem, and even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts. So as we land into the famous paragraph, this is what it's all about. This is the context of it. It's acceptance of his alcoholism. Really am an alcoholic of sorts. And it's all right with me. He gives his permission for himself to be an alcoholic. Have you given yourself permission to be an alcoholic so you can move forward into AA? What we're looking at here is something I like to call a disruptive realization. We have these things in our lives. Bill W. calls it catapulting into the fourth dimension, that suddenly a realization disrupts my framework of thinking. It, it changes how I am. It makes me into somehow something different. And in doing so, I'm faced with a challenging solution, something maybe I don't want to do, perhaps something that I've put a lot of effort into saying is not a solution, a disruptive realization followed by a challenging solution. That's acceptance, a disruptive realization. And what is it disrupting? Well, it's disrupting me, and we're going to get to that in just a second. So he says, I, even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts, and it's all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? Another key idea in this, another key idea is acceptance isn't apathy, right? It's not an absence of feeling about the thing, and it's not complacency. Indeed, it's the opposite, that what acceptance does is free us to then act, not in a self-preserving mode either. What Paul's going to do is something counterintuitive, something a lot of us have done. He's going to lean into the program. He says, when I stopped living in the problem and began to bring in the answer, living in the problem, and began to bring in. He's going to go out and get this answer and bring it into his way of thinking. The problem went away. When he stopped living in the problem, acceptance, disruptive realization, and began living in the answer, challenging opportunity, challenging solution, the problem went away. Whew. Acceptance is the answer to his problems, isn't it? From that moment on, the key of willingness in the third step talks about this a lot, doesn't it? From that moment on, the moment he became willing, from that moment on, the solution became available to him. From that moment on, I have not had a single compulsion to drink. Wow. And here's our famous paragraph, and acceptance, and acceptance, at last acceptance and acceptance, it turns out. After thorough analysis, after seven months of resisting, after deciding that it's not really true, how am I supposed to accept this evil person? I'm never going to accept this thing that happened to me. I'm not, you know, that's not what he's talking about. His whole thing is about accepting the fact that he's an alcoholic. That landed him into the steps, which are the solution to all of his problems. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity, no peace of mind, 
until I employ the skills of the steps until, until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. I change how I think and I change how I act to adapt to the situation and become helpful. Not complacent, not inactive, not apathetic, not without any feelings. I'm just cutting off from it. I'm going to change how I'm thinking and how I'm acting to become helpful. Challenging solution. Disruptive realization, acceptance, challenging solution, change how I think and act to orient myself to be helpful. Whew. That's a tough thing to think about. I know I don't always do that by any means. And in conversation just before recording this podcast, the producer, Tom, and I were discussing just this idea that it's difficult, that it doesn't come naturally to me to accept. In fact, I'm judgmental. I'm a highly opinionated and sensitive person. And it's unusual for those judgments, opinions, and sensitivity to be centered on positive things. People tell me I'm doing a good job at work. I'm sensitive to that in a, well, negative way, right? So even under those circumstances, I have difficulty. A lot of us have difficulty saying thank you when we get a compliment. This is a, that very type of thing. So he goes on. Nothing. And he wants us to be sure he's not kidding. Absolutely nothing happens in God's world. Whose world? God's world, the realm of the spirit, the idea that we're working through these 12 steps to live inside of a different framework of mind, God consciousness. Nothing happens out in the world around me that I don't control. Nothing happens, absolutely nothing happens out in this world that I can make be different. So it's exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment, right? It doesn't happen by mistake either. When we deal with physical laws, we're dealing with things that may appear random, but they really can't be any other way. They can't be any other way. So there's no mistakes in it. God doesn't make mistakes. Humans make mistakes in the way we think about God's work. Until I could accept means until I could have that disruptive realization about my alcoholism, until I had that disruptive realization, I could not stay sober. I couldn't take on the challenging solution. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, unless I adapt myself to suit life, not demand that life suit me, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as I look out in the world and think how bad it is and think, I don't accept that. I don't accept that. And I'm never, ever going to, hmm, isn't that torture? So let's just stop on that for a second. He says, I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world. I avoid the problems in me. There's another great spiritual teacher that talks about the speck in somebody else's eye while I got a plank in my own eye. This is what he's getting at here. That I look out into the world and I have a negative point of view and I want to find fault or wrong in it as opposed to changing my perspective, seeking opportunities to serve and knowing that there is at least one person that I do control that can have a positive influence in the world in that very moment. And that is me. The question is, am I going to do it? 
And that's the power of acceptance. Am I going to take the challenging solution to my disruptive realization that requires this concept, this turning point, this pivot point, a fulcrum called acceptance? Not so much what needs to be changed in the world as what needs to be changed in me and in my way of thinking, my attitudes. Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. He forgot to mention that I was chief critic. No, no, Paul. Dan Dan's chief critic. He So Paul, even Paul missed that up, right? I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation. And I'll add on to that instantly without any effort, without a big book, without a meeting, without a Bible, without a Quran, without a Gita, without anything, without any teachings of anybody. This is what I do because, and some of the things I talked about with Tom this morning, because I want to protect my right to drink. And ultimately, I think that's the perspective I carry of it is that I'm just trying to isolate to do what I want to do. I do not want these things influencing me because they threaten to take away something I already have or keep me from something that I want. He forgot to mention that Dan Dan was chief critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person, every situation, and I was always glad to point it out. Poof. So in other podcasts and other episodes of Dan Dan's Big Book Study, we've talked about our foes, F-O-H, like F-O-E, the enemy. These are our real enemies in our spiritual life, and that's our fears, opinions, and habits. And I, whoo, boy, I don't like when those things get challenged at all. So he goes on. He says, always glad to point it out because I knew you wanted the perfection that I decided was perfect, right? I knew you wanted perfection just as I did. And it goes on to say this, AA and acceptance have taught me that there is a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us that we are all children of God and we each have the right to be here. That's the cornerstone of serenity right there. That's it right there. When people are getting under your skin, that sentence is so powerful to remember that even if they're the worst possible person, that there's something to be garnered from it that is potentially good and it is up to me to convert that good into the world. It may be that someone does really horrible things in the world or they just lose their job or whatever the case is, but to turn my attention and my time and my energy called effort into something good surrounding that situation. When we get to the 11th step, we're presented with the St. Francis prayer. And it basically says, you know, lime for lime, when there's this, then do that. You can use that as a guideline for what to do here. So when I accept something, what I'm really doing is preparing myself spiritually to walk towards the trouble and bring spiritual principle to it. Not to walk away, not to assume that I don't influence it somehow by saying, well, I don't control anybody because you surely do influence them. And using the 11th step, improving our conscious contact with God as we understand them, by praying in the moment, treating the situation with prayer, asking God for direction, moving forward to bring something good to the situation, to see what you can pour into this stream of life, to see how you can be at least a component 
of love for whatever grievance might be going on. Hmm. Because there is a bit of good in the worst of us and a little bit of bad in the best of us. We are all children of God and have a right to be here. So profound. When I complain about me or about you, I am complaining about God's handiwork. I am saying that I know better than God. And when we think about God here, if you brought this into a religious context, well, I hope for a second you can step away from that and think about this, that the spiritual laws come with their own consequences, and they're not off in the future somewhere. Like judging other people is sort of the inference here. When I judge somebody else, it's me that's having the negative feelings. It's me that's experiencing this negative thought. It's me that pays the consequences. And it's foolishness for me to think that I can do that without paying the consequences, whether it be isolation or arrogance. I don't know. It could come any, any sort of way, but I'm in the moment paying the consequences for my unspiritual or my lack of love for another man by being unable to see that they too are children of God and have every right to be here just like me. Gravity, argue with it all you like. You cannot like it all you like. You can deny that it's there. It's not tangible. You can't taste it. You cannot see it. But if you test it, you will find that you may well get hurt. It is a damning, unforgiving, impersonal, indifferent law. And what consists of gravity? Uh, Still quite a debate. It's nonetheless there. And what we see is the results of it. That's why it's so important to take this on like he's saying. I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I'm complaining that gravity doesn't work the way I think it ought to work. Another way we come up with this, and sometimes this is sort of funny, is I walk into a store, some big grocery store, and I go to where I think the peanut butter ought to be or the mayonnaise ought to be, right? And it's not there. And I say, what? where do they put this? Why? Why would they put it where they put it? Why can't they do it the way, well, Dan Dan thinks they ought to do it? Because I'm an expert merchandiser, and I've spent millions of dollars planning out my store, and I've done this tons and tons of times to make a giant company on the basis that we're good at it. No, no, no. I go in, and I see it, well, negatively, without any effort at all. And I decide that I know better instead of seeking. So on the other side of this and is this last sentence. It says, I'm complaining about God's handiwork, and here it is. I am saying I know better than God. And God could be whatever good orderly direction that you come across, right? Whatever systematic process that exists to get you what you're looking for, trying to hang on to in this world. So we're just going to finish it off with this thought in the reading, and then I'll offer you some commentary on it that I hope ties all this together. He says, for years, I was sure that the worst thing that could happen to a nice guy like me would be that I would turn out to be an alcoholic. Today, I find it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. So when we come across ideas like that, I always want to caution people this. I think that's true of myself as well. I would tell you the best day of my life was also the worst day. Because my first day in an AA meeting, I was totally defeated. It was also the door opening to the finest opportunity I would ever have. But ultimately, that's a self-centered, selfish idea. 
Lots of people were hurt until I got to that day. I reaped havoc in other people's lives until I got to that day. And what happened that day and that opportunity wasn't only that I felt better or that I got away from alcoholism. If I don't go through with the steps, especially four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, right? If I don't get in there and do the inventory, admit the nature, discover the nature of my wrongs and, and admit them to people, find a pathway to serve God of my own understanding and then repair the relationships I've destroyed to the best of my ability. If I do not do that, this statement, this idea that it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me to be an alcoholic is a purely selfish and spiritually sick concept. If you want to hang on to that idea, it's vital that you move on and practice these steps in all of your affairs. Hmm. This proves I don't know what's good for me. And if I don't know what's good for me, then I don't know what's good or bad for you or for anyone. So I'm better off if I don't give advice. Don't figure I know what's best and just accept life. Just have that disruptive realization that life on life's terms that adapting to life as it comes to me instead of demanding it be different as it is today, as it is right now in your life, perhaps, especially my own life, as it actually is being honest with yourself, knowing the exact nature of you, that fifth step. Hmm. Before A, I judged myself by my intentions while the world was judging me by my actions. Whew. So this is what he's getting at. The idea of acceptance is not the ability to walk away from difficult problems, places where you're uncomfortable. It's not synonymous with a healthy boundary. It is all used for those things by some of us. It is a disruptive realization. The idea I am in fact an alcoholic, followed by a challenging solution that this opportunity before me called the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous throws open the door to one of the greatest things I may ever discover in my life. And that is a faith that works with a God of my own understanding and the ability to restrain myself and continually seek how to improve my conscious contact with God so that I can carry the message of AA and carry the message of love and carry the message of calmness and carry the message of serenity out to the world at large to anyone or any set of circumstances I may encounter. Knowing that AA teaches us that we are to do our best to serve God and our fellow man, that we are to do our best to leverage these steps, these tools, to employ them in difficult circumstances as to find a way to get along with just about everyone we encounter, at least to the greatest degree possible with every single person we encounter in life, that I'm going to make other people more important than myself, not saying that I become unimportant. I'm just going to put them first, knowing this, that through acceptance, I gain the ability, the humility, because humility gives me the ability to look out into this world for that challenging solution and begin to enact it and get the benefits of it, that the spiritual laws are in play. And if I do things, not intend to do things, not intend to do things, that the world is judging me by my actions, not my intentions. If I get in it and do it and I repair these relationships after going through the process of cleaning house, 
I can get a result that I really just can't even imagine today. And reframing this idea that acceptance is the answer to all my troubles because I recognize that the core of my default spiritually, the core of my spiritual malady, my spiritual sickness, my injured soul is alcoholism. It's alcoholism. And when I can do that, I can embrace the solution that AA brings forward and put it into action. It does me no good at all to want to, need to. You'll hear people say, this is a program for people that want it. No, it's not. It's only a program exclusively, solely for the people that do it. So if you're going to have a discussion around acceptance, some of that's some tough talk I just offered you. And remember, a great deal of this just Dan Dan's conjecture. So it's always good to weigh what I have to say against what your group has to say or whatever you got going on. So a great topic of this would be, what was the day, what was it like in the moment of realization that you are an addict, alcoholic, and that you are going to have to change, or perhaps very undesirable circumstances such as jails, institutions, and death were your immediate future. And what was it like to take on the challenge of the 12 steps? What were your thoughts? If you're anything like me, you might have thought, I don't know about that. I mean, I get what the book says. I don't know about doing all the steps. Or for some people, especially those that show up with a faith intact, they have a religious faith, it's one, two, three, and it's all about me. Once I've reestablished that idea that I'm going to live out God's will in my life, man, I'm all done right there. I don't need to do anything else. I maintain that selfish posture. What, what is it in your life? What was the disruptive realization like that was followed by the challenging solution, and how is that going for you? I hope you have a great discussion.